Welcome into the fade. I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman, and we are hopefully going to make you some money beginning with Monday Night Football to complete the NFL Week 10. We'll dive right into it and we'll talk about my Titans as the greatest team maybe in the history of the AFC. But first, Rams on the road, three and a half point favorite tonight, Furman against the 49ers. 49ers, obviously. Big disappointment so far this season. Over, under, 50 and a half. I am on the Rams and I'm on the under. Uh, what say you in this game? I'm going the other way. Uh, I'm on the on 49ers both. in this Yeah, I, Yeah, I, I'm on the 49ers in this spot. I'm not actually on the total, but I would look to go over. Although you've lost a little bit of the wiggle room here as the number's been bet up from 49 and a half into that 50 and a half, 51 range. When you look at San Francisco... There's no doubt that this season has been a disappointment. Last weekend probably was the worst. We've seen the 49ers. You have a chance to get a big win in the division against Colt McCoy, and you look ill-prepared from the opening kickoff, and you pretty much get blown out from start to finish in your own building. Now, we've seen the 49ers struggle in their home games going back to even last year. There's been no home field advantage to speak of, but this, for me, is their last stand. Win this game, suddenly you're 4-5. and You have a road game at Jacksonville. You have a chance to get to 500. And that puts you in the thick of things as far as the NFC playoff picture is concerned. Lose here, you're three and six. And uh, I have to imagine the heat under Kyle Shanahan's seat as head coach gets ratcheted up pretty quickly. One of the things that I want to see from this Rams team, I know how good they've been uh, off a defeat under Sean McVay, both straight up and against the spread. But I think losing Robert Woods in a short turnaround is a lot bigger deal than anybody is letting on for this offense. The reason I say that is Woods was kind of the Swiss Army knife. He could go outside. He could go inside. He's one of the best blockers on this team. He does a lot of the dirty work that I don't think most casual football fans appreciate. And when you look at Odell Beckham Jr., part of the reason he wasn't a fit in Cleveland was because he wanted the flash and dash. He didn't want to have to be a part of the running game. And I'm not quite sure what his route tree will look like in this particular spot. So I think with everything hanging in the balance for the 49ers, even though the Rams know they've been given a little bit of a window in the wake of Arizona's loss, I'm on the 49ers plus the points. I think they can win this game outright. Uh, All right, Thursday night football. We'll talk a little bit about it here. Uh, The New England Patriots are on a roll. They're up to 6-4. and They dominated the Browns over the weekend. They're on the road against the Falcons. I know it's early, Patriots around a six-point favorite. Do you have an early lean at all on Thursday night football? What's interesting about this game, Clay, is you obviously saw two very disparate results. The Patriots go out there and absolutely shellack the Cleveland Browns 45-7. to Meanwhile, the Falcons struggle to complete forward passes against the Dallas Cowboys, losing that game 43-3. to So what you've seen is at FanDuel Sportsbook, it went from a look-ahead number with New England minus 3.5 to the Patriots beginning to flirt with that next key number of seven. The big injury we're going to want to keep tabs on from now until kickoff will be Corderell Patterson. If he's unavailable, that really puts the Falcons in a bind because we know Calvin Ridley's out for personal reasons still. Kyle Pitts essentially becomes their only weapon that the Patriots have to defend, and I'm not quite sure that's enough against the Bill Belichick-led defense. But at the same time, I'm not sure I want to buy Patriots stock at the top of the market. The number got to seven. I'd be slightly inclined to make a value bet on Atlanta. But this Patriots team suddenly looking like a legitimate contender in the AFC as the defense rounds into shape. And I have to imagine there are plenty of folks wearing game green colors uh, and also in the Bay Area that wonder how much different the trajectory of their franchise would look if they opted for Mac Jones instead of Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. I saw you tweeting. Let's go to college football here now for a moment. I'm Clay Travis. He's Todd Furman. This is The Fade. 
about the playoff race I know we'll get the official uh, playoff standings on Tuesday tomorrow but if you look at some of these games and the way they go down I don't think it's crazy to believe Furman I wrote about chaos. this in my starting chaos, 11 we yeah. want chaos that's what we yeah, do yeah chaos well I mean I think there are some two lost teams that could end up in the mix but before we get there Michigan State is a 19 point underdog in the big noon game on Saturday against Ohio State. Fair or foul on that line? 100% fair. When you look at Michigan State, we saw them get absolutely shredded in West Lafayette against Purdue. That secondary had no answers whatsoever for the Purdue passing game. And if you think Purdue's got a good vertical passing game led by David Bell, Ohio State playing in their own building is essentially an aerial attack on steroids with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and the emergence of some young players around them. C.J. Stroud has thrown himself right into the thick of things as far as the Heisman race is concerned. And I think that's the other story worth paying attention to because if Stroud goes out there and puts up numbers like he did last Saturday and Ohio State is able to take a comfortable lead forcing Michigan State to abandon Kenneth Walker, I think Walker can play himself out of the race. Now, if the Spartans are in this thing from start to finish, suddenly we're talking about the Wake Forest transfer having a chance to punch his ticket to New York and be a legitimate contender. And while as successful as Mel Tucker has been with this Michigan State team, I just don't think they have the athletes in space. I think Peyton Thorne has to play the best game of his career just to keep that back door open. I think Ohio State scores in the high 40s, maybe even the low 50s. We'll see what Sparty can do. But my early lean is Ohio State laying the lumber. Wouldn't be shocked if we saw a repeat of what the thumping that Ohio State put on Purdue last weekend. What do you think about uh, Alabama? Any nervousness there with Arkansas coming in around a three-touchdown underdog? Do the Razorbacks have the goods to make a challenge here for the Crimson Tide? You know, honestly, I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because I worry that Arkansas doesn't have enough in the trenches, either on the offensive or defensive line, to really put a scare into Alabama. So much of LSU's success a couple of weeks ago and while they were able to keep that game close and have a chance to win it late was because they put pressure on Bryce Young. I mean, <laughs> Alabama's offensive line, in my opinion, is the worst iteration that we've seen in quite some time. I don't think Arkansas is built to put pressure on them. I think Auburn is a much more formidable test in the Iron Bowl, even if they don't, while well, they won't have Bo Nix and they're going with TJ Finley. And then, of course, when you look ahead to the SEC championship game where Alabama will be right around a three-point underdog, I just don't think the Hogs have enough to pull off the upset. Now, talking about covering his potential three touchdown underdogs, a little bit of a different story, uh, but probably not a game I'm going to get near as my numbers make it pretty close to where the market opened up. You mentioned Bo Nix being out for Auburn. How much of a difference do you make between Bo Nix and TJ Finley when it comes to Auburn lines and overall talent? You know, it's been interesting to watch how the markets moved uh, as this news circulated. I mean, I tried to jump ahead of it. I took 10.5 early with South Carolina and went under 48.5, knowing that those prices weren't going to be out there. The market got as low as 6.5, and, and you saw a little bit of money come in on Auburn. So the price is largely settled right around a touchdown. You haven't seen movement on the total, though, from 48.5 down to 44.5. And I think TJ Finley can use this as an audition. I, I love what Brian Harson has done, getting Bo Nix to realize some of his potential. I'm not quite sure how to explain what we saw unfold at Jordan-Hare last Saturday in a game where I think Mississippi State had, what, 40-some-odd points unanswered where yes. Auburn looked like they were going to run away and hide. So I wonder where this team really is emotionally because now you're out of the SEC West race. Win or lose against South Carolina doesn't define their season with the biggest game that you have, your in-state rivalry against Alabama. 
So I think this has got letdown written all over it for Auburn. I think defensively, though, they don't have to be at their best because South Carolina doesn't provide much of a threat. So I'd say about a three and a half, four point downgrade from Bo Nix to TJ Finley. And we may see a 60 minute sample size where we go, you know what? It's not even that big a drop off as we head into the Thanksgiving weekend. There may be some people surprised by this. Oregon is the number three team in the nation. I would imagine they're going to be the number three team in the nation. Again, spoiler alert, your top four uh, in the college football playoff is going to be Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, and Ohio State in that order. Oregon against Utah, the Ducks a three-point underdog. Do you like Utah in this situation or do you like Oregon? And by the way, it's likely that these two teams will meet again in the Pac-12 championship game. It's fascinating when you look at this matchup for a variety of reasons. First, we can start with the number here. And I actually power rate this game a pick em, uh, on a neutral field. I have these two teams neck and neck. I was extremely bullish on Utah coming into the season. Thought my numbers were way off when you watch them lose outright early in the year in the Holy War against BYU and follow it up with a loss against San Diego State. Suddenly, Utah changes quarterbacks, Cam Rising steps in, and this Utah offense has been clicking on all cylinders ever since. It's the defense that's actually been a bit of a disappointment. Meanwhile, Oregon, hey, this Ducks team is good, but they're one-dimensional. They can run the football behind Brian Cardwell and C.J. Verdell. If you can make them throw the football, I don't trust Anthony Brown whatsoever to put a legitimate threat into the opposition. Tough place to play at Rice-Eccles. I know SEC fans won't think much of it. Uh, but going into Salt Lake City can be one of the more daunting environments on the West Coast, especially when it's dark, it's cold, uh, and I think Utah will be foaming at the mouth to knock Oregon from the playoff race. But the dynamic you bring up about these two teams not only playing Saturday, but most likely in a few weeks, would Kyle Whittingham dare go with a slightly vanilla game plan knowing that Utah's season would theoretically be defined by finishing as conference champions, whereas Oregon has to put something into all of these games I don't think Oregon can beat Utah twice in the span of three weeks, which will remove them from the college football playoff discussion. Uh, but my early lean is towards Utah. Uh, I do think that they'll find a way to hold serve in their own building, and it wouldn't shock me if they struggled the following week against Colorado to close out the regular season. If you look right now at national championship odds, Georgia is minus 125, and I'm looking at FanDuel.com. You can go get your bets in at FanDuel.com slash Clay. Ohio State plus 350. Bama plus 450. Furman, we jump from those three odds all the way to Oregon at 30 to 1, Oklahoma at 40 to 1, Oklahoma State and Michigan 50 to 1, Cincinnati 60 to 1, Notre Dame 80 to 1, Wake Forest, Michigan State 100 to 1. The reason why I bring all this up is there's a big drop off after the top three. And if we presume, as you said, Georgia is likely to be a three point favorite over Alabama, if Georgia. Uh, beats Alabama and Ohio State let's say were to lose to Wisconsin there's all of a sudden three wide open playoff spots after Georgia I'm not sure we've ever had you know Georgia you can basically write in they're not going to lose yeah they're uh, it would be a stunner if they lost one of their final two and then lost to Alabama but there's basically three wide open playoff spots right after Georgia I'm not sure we've ever seen that this late in the season No, and it's a lot of blue blood programs too. So you do wonder how exactly these teams will perform under the bright lights. We can start with Alabama, and you mentioned that number there. The reason there's no value in betting Alabama to win the national championship, they essentially have to win, let's call it four games, five games if we want to include Arkansas. 
But even if you didn't include Arkansas in the mix and you assume they have to beat Auburn, they have to beat Georgia in the SEC title game and then win two playoff games, rolling over Alabama bets on the money line is going to pay significantly better than the price you can get at FanDuel Sportsbook. Now, the scenario that you kind of outlined there, I think, is fascinating because there really is a chance that if Alabama were to lose to Georgia, say, by a field goal in the SEC title, and there's chaos everywhere else that Oregon has two losses, Ohio State has two losses, Cincinnati loses to either SMU, East Carolina, or in the conference championship game, suddenly, who the hell else are you including in the mix for the college football playoff? There's little old Notre Dame finishing out 11-1 and that's got a legitimate claim to try and get into the mix. Uh, but I think Ohio State will run the table. I don't have a lot of confidence in Coach Harbaugh holding serve at home with Michigan and Ann Arbor Thanksgiving weekend. So let's see if Ohio State gets in. Uh, but there's no doubt more drama around the end of this college football playoff season than I can ever really imagine. The irony being is that when the dust settles, we'll still probably have the highest profile programs that are out there. But personally, I got a little bit of a rooting interest in Cincinnati. I'd like to see a group of five team included in the mix even if they were to get blown out just to show that, Hey, look, they went out there, they took care of business. They scheduled Indiana on the road. They didn't know the Hoosiers were going to be bad. They went into South Bend and, you know, and beat Notre Dame rather convincingly. And let's not ignore the fact, while it's not apples to apples, Cincinnati played Georgia to the, to the death last year in a bowl game. Now the level of engagement from Georgia will be much higher here. And I'm not sure they can hold up in the trenches, but give the little guy a shot. And who knows, maybe Cinderella, can pull off a miraculous upset if Cincinnati's able to sneak in. Uh, all right, let's dive into some of these NFL matchups. So let's start with the fact that my Titans are eight and two, six, I believe, uh, seven, uh, six in a row, but seven and zero oh against playoff teams last year. Now, just want to put that out there. Very good spot to beat the Texans. Although I bet you're on the Texans, aren't you? No, I have not made a uh, bet on that game yet. The Texans are on my short lean list and there's no doubt I'll be making a case for them. Because Clay, when you look at the Titans, good teams win, great teams cover. And the Titans just won. They didn't cover as three-point favorites uh, this past weekend. I know, trust me. that I had and, them two and a half. So that was a tough one and, that they and didn't yet cover. Again, and yet again, they get outgained. I mean, this is a team who continues to outrun the metrics. So you wonder about their killer instinct and if they're able to beat teams convincingly. So I think the Titans are going to be fine. We've talked at great lengths about how favorable their schedule is going forward, but I wouldn't be inclined to lay more than a touchdown with this team because I think Mike Vrabel knows it's a survive and advance mentality. I'm not going to take anything away from how well the defense played when they needed to make stops, but offensively, I still think they're trying to figure out an identity and it's not going to be easy when you're talking about an absence of weapons because I had a look through the roster I didn't even know who, what is it, Marquez Johnson? Was he the leading receiver yesterday? I didn't even yes. know the, who the guy was or had heard of him before, and it's a revolving door running back, you know, with Jeremy McNichols, Deontay Foreman, and Adrian Peterson. But I think if Vrabel was smart, he'd name Foreman, you know, the lead back because I do believe he offers the most explosive potential. What's season. crazy about this, Furman, the most players that have ever dressed for an NFL season going back to like 1993 when they expanded rosters for any team is 84. The Titans have already dressed 82 players this year. That's how bad the injury situation has been. Now what you hope is that first of all the fact they've gotten to 8-2 and two while dressing 82 players is pretty incredible that they could get in a position where a lot of these guys that have gotten injured are going to be back healthy. For instance, the Julio Joneses, the Derrick Henrys of the world. Fingers crossed that by the time you got to a playoff race 
you could be bringing some of those guys back uh, able to play. But let's go into some other games. Colts-Bills is a really fascinating game to me. If you believe, as I do, that the Titans are likely to beat the Texans, this could be all she write, all she wrote for uh, the Colts going up against the Bills. The Colts have fought back to 5-5. Five and five. The Bills have been a bit of an enigma of late so far this year. 6-3. and three. If the Colts lose this game and the Titans win, they're four and a half games back with whatever it is, uh, seven games to play, I think it'll be. Six games to play. Uh, so effectively, that race may be over anyway, but that would really eliminate it. If they were to pull off the upset over the Bills, then the Bills' chances of being the number one seed, I think, pretty much go out the window. I think it's an intriguing game are you as interested in Colts-Bills as I am? Oh, 100% because I think when you look at this Colts team, I mean, their performance yesterday against the Jacksonville Jaguars was relatively disappointing. I mean, Frank Reich has erred on the side of being overly conservative. And for what reason, I have absolutely no idea when you see how some of these games play out. I mean, they weren't great offensively. They really struggled to get Jonathan Taylor on track after his opening couple of carries. And if Trevor Lawrence makes an extra play or the Jaguars are semi-competent, they have a chance to go into Lucas Oil Stadium and win that game outright as a double-digit dog. But here we are, a little bit of playoff revenge, a game where the Colts, I'm sure, were kicking themselves that they weren't able to get over the hump in Orchard Park, New York, last year against the Bills. Phillip Rivers, of course, the quarterback then, a lot different than what you're going to see from Carson Wentz. But this Buffalo pass defense has been the real story. Now, they haven't played the most grueling li uh, list of opponents as far as aerial attacks are concerned. So I think you're going to see the Colts get out of their comfort zone a little bit, this is a team, in my opinion, that is, can be an extremely live underdog. We've seen it in multiple occasions. And for Buffalo, sure, they had a breakout performance against the Jets. I don't think that says that offense is officially cured. So as this number continues to tre trend up and it looks like it's going to leak to 7.5, I like the Colts here catching the points. I think this is going to be a fascinating game. And, you know, you hit on it, talking about the Titans, a loss here for the Bills gives them a leg up on everybody else for that number one seed. And given all of those injuries, specifically to Derrick Henry, the longer the Titans can wait before they play a meaningful playoff game will only help their chances if they can get key cogs back in the poll. No doubt. All right, some interesting games here. I'm going to run through several of them in the NFL coming up. Bengals at Raiders, Cowboys at Chiefs, and Steelers at Chargers. All six of those teams have playoff aspirations. What, if anything, is standing out about those three games early to you? Oh, well, we can start with the Sunday night game between the Chargers and Steelers. First things first, it's going to feel like a Steelers home game. You've already looked at ticket prices. Uh, I'm trying to potentially send the fiance and her family out there for the game as they bleed black and gold. Now, when you look at this Steelers team, the issue that they're going to run into, we're not sure who's actually going to be available. I mean, I think it was a Jay Glazer report that said Big Ben could potentially not even be cleared to play for Sunday if he doesn't have his negative tests in the mix. And we saw what Mason Rudolph brings to the offense. It's a little bit more methodical than even Ben is in the twilight of his career. But the other thing that came up this morning was Minka Fitzpatrick, I believe, also tested yeah. positive. Well, so he will not be available. TJ Watt's going to be touch and go all week as he wasn't able to finish the game against the Lions. And suddenly, if you're down those two players for this Steelers defense, it's a below average unit, in my opinion. The Chargers are going to be desperate, but this is a Chargers team that hasn't looked anything like the team we saw early in the year. So I'd be a little bit nervous about laying a number approaching six uh, with the Chargers, given some of their struggles in their own building. You talked about Kansas City and Dallas. I think this is the matchup of the week. One I'm going to be fascinated to watch. 
because I want to see how this Kansas City defense performs when they step up in class. I think the unit's a lot better than they're being given credit for, but Dallas is a whole nother animal when it comes to their big play potential and the guys that they have that are game breakers, both running the football uh, and on the outside. Defensively, let's see what Dallas will do to defend Kansas City. Was it a breakout performance that we saw last night at Allegiant Stadium? Because the Chiefs look to regain some of that swagger. And when they get a healthy Clyde Edwards a layer back in the fold, it gives them another valuable weapon. So that game, I don't see a whole lot of wiggle room from a wagering perspective. Now, the game out here that loses some luster, obviously, given what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the Bengals and Raiders. The Raiders look like they were going to be short favorites on the look-ahead number at FanDuel Sportsbook. Now the Bengals have moved into modest one-point favorites. And I think it's not necessarily just the X's and O's. You begin to wonder what kind of psychological and exhausting toll everything that the Raiders have had to deal with off the field is starting to take on this team. Now, I know it was only one game last night against the Chiefs, but the energy wasn't there. The team looked like they were out of sync. There were a lot of mental mistakes. And when you look at the Raiders' schedule going forward, there are no gimmies. So we can't ignore the fact that this was supposed to be a seven-win team before the year. They started out 3-0. and I believe they're now 2-4 and in their last six games. You lose to the Bengals. You have a short week to play the Cowboys. Suddenly, this thing gets off the rails, and you begin to wonder what you've lost in a leader in John Gruden, a game-breaker in Henry Ruggs. And I can see this thing getting away from him real quick. So Bengals off the bye would be my early lean there. I think that they have the playmakers you need to be able to attack this Raiders defense where they're at their most vulnerable at the linebacker and defensive back position. All right, I think we'll be back on Friday. But let me ask you this, uh, Furman, as uh, as we roll into the, the, the Thursday night football game, the Monday night football game tonight. When you look at COVID rearing its ugly head again, uh, just in the last couple of hours, the Ottawa Senators have had to shut down for a week whole team's vaccinated. They still had 10 different players test positive. You mentioned Mika Fitzpatrick, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Nick Chubb, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the list is becoming fairly substantial of players testing positive. How nervous are you now going forward from an odds maker perspective about the other shoe proverbially dropping? Does it make more sense to wait till later in the week some to bet now because so many guys are going to be announced out with COVID-related issues? It's definitely getting to be more challenging. From a handicapping side, it's taking on a 2020 feel where most of my positions would come in later in the week. Now, the one thing I will say that typically most of my portfolio when it comes to weekend investments in the NFL is betting games under the total. So more often than not, some of these key absences, especially to offensive players, only strengthen some of those positions. Um, So I'm not as concerned there. But when it comes to betting sides, I don't think it's as simple as the early bird gets the worm like we've grown accustomed to because you don't know who's going to pop up on that injury list uh, or the COVID reserve list. Like we saw Saturday night. I mean, you watch all of a sudden Big Ben's there. That number drops from the Steelers an eight, eight and a half point favorite down to that five and a half, six range. I know a lot of people in some of the big survivor contests uh, really didn't have a chance to change their entry after that. You saw that total come down. So you do have you do have to be cognizant uh, of everything that's going on. It's just a va- another variable that you add into the handicapping equation. I mean, this business is never easy to begin with, and this is yet another challenge that you'll have to try and encounter. One thing I will say for the Ottawa Senator situation, not to go off on a hockey tangent, it's interesting that Ottawa had a bunch of guys that were on their reserve list. They actually asked the league for a salary cap exemption to try and call guys up. The league said no, and suddenly Ottawa canceled their games. So I think that's as much... Uh, 
politicking as anything else. And, you know, theoretically, Ottawa probably shouldn't have been playing over the weekend. But when you had two teams from Western Canada come in, or at least one in Calgary and the LA Kings, they figured let's get those games out of the way because the schedule is not going to allow us to shoehorn them in later. Now they can shut things down for a little bit against Eastern Conference opponents. But yep, it's something we're going to have to watch, especially as we get closer to the holidays. Todd Furman, I will talk to you again later this week. I hope you guys have enjoyed the fade. Yeah. One other thing. One one other thing, because I didn't think we did a good job. I know you're a huge USA soccer fan, and we didn't talk about the game oh, last yeah, Thursday that's right. in Mexico. Yes. So impressive performance there. We did see Sharp Money come in on the red, white, and blue. Uh, next World Cup qualifier, the boys are down in Jamaica in what I think is still going to be an empty stadium. So it changes the handicap a little bit. But you want to talk about a letdown spot? You come into that game after beating Mexico, and now you have to go into sleepy Jamaica to play a side you know you should beat. Uh, I actually lean under the total there. I think Greg Berhalter is going to come with a slightly more conservative approach, look to try and get that one point, the result, but a hell of a lot better position after seven matches this round of qualifying uh, than where we were when we faced that deficit against Honduras. And I know, I think, Clay, it's a year from today, actually. The World Cup 2022 will start on Fox, and I know both you and I will have to function on about 90 minutes of sleep when you have college football the NFL, and the World Cup going on 24 hours a day. No doubt. By the way, how much of a favorite would the U.S. soccer team be to make the World Cup right now halfway through the qualifying rounds? You know, they're massive. I mean, I think you're talking about when you look at the schedule coming up, knowing that the rest of the group is really beating themselves up. It's a three-horse race up top. I'm a little bit disappointed Panama uh, was able to score three goals in the final 15 minutes against Honduras to keep themselves squarely in the four spot. Uh, but I'd make them in that one to seven, one to eight range. But all that being said, I would have made us heavy favorites four years ago before we stubbed our toe against Trinidad and had that perfect confluence of events. So fingers crossed that we're trending in the right direction. I like to think that this World Cup, you know, if and when we qualify is a bit of a free roll and there should be some real expectations and excitement when the global game shifts to American and North American soil in 2026 for our golden generation you know, has some high hopes, not just to get into the mix and the knockout stages, but to make a deep run and maybe be the first time we can legitimately say, hey, this group should contend for the biggest prize in international football. No doubt. Todd Furman, I'll talk to you later this week. Good luck on the bets. Hope you enjoy my Tennessee Titans first place AFC team. No, no, no mention, no mention of the balls, no mention of the balls, the entire show and the full Travis Sozier, no mention of the, you know, what was tough after veins or anything else. We I mean, should have, we should have, we should have covered. We had seven trips inside of the 40, five inside of the 20, uh, couldn't get in the end zone. Georgia's got a really good defense. Uh, first quarter was fantastic. Bad turnover by Hendon Hooker about midway through the uh, second quarter. And from there, the offense never really got rolling again. But I did have a fantastic time there with all three of my boys. I'll be down in Oxford this weekend. And then I'm headed straight from Oxford to the beach, Furman. So uh, I'll be down. Uh, be on, yeah, I'll be down on Must the beach be for Thanksgiving. Must be rough to live a day in the life of Clay Travis. Must be rough to live a day in the life. Lots right of travel. Right the Grove and a little bit of tailgating and down to the beach. So you can kick your feet up and relax just in time for Thanksgiving, man. It must be rough. I'll take out my little violin and play it for you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. That is Todd Furman. (laughs) I am Clay Travis. This has been The Fade.